Well, good morning. Ooh, that was late. Good morning. Hope y'all are doing well. My name is Dean. If today is day number one for you to be here with us, we are grateful that you're our guest. If you've been around for a long time, we're grateful that you are here as well. If you are a regular attender uh, or member, I would encourage you to download the newest version of the LifePoint app. We're going to use that for uh, the rest of the series. Also, we will be celebrating communion at the end of the service together today. Communion elements are located in both of the aisles. So if you didn't get those on the way in, you want to take a second and go grab those. Now's a good time to do it kind of as we're, uh, as we're starting the message uh, off. Uh, for those of you who are our guests, just want to uh, make sure you are aware um, that you have, uh, you have notes available for the message this morning. All you have to do, if you'll take out your smartphone right now and open up your camera app, you point it at the QR code on one of the chairs in front of you. When you see the colored outline there, you just push the, uh, that, and then that QR code will take you to a spot, a place called lpguest.com. If you're like me and you're not great with QR codes, you can just type that into your web browser, into Safari or whatever web browser you use. Um, and there you'll find two things. As like I said, message notes are available. They're interactive. Um, as I go through Second uh, Thessalonians this morning, you can type your own notes in there, email those to yourself, just so you have maybe a record of whatever it is that God will speak into you about this morning. Second thing that's there is a guest information card. Take a second, take you man, less than a minute to fill that out. Five different ministries are listed at the bottom of that card. You choose the one that's closest to you. Uh, we're already partnered up with all five of them. We'll make an additional $5 donation in your honor just for letting us know that you were here with us this morning. You get the opportunity to make a difference uh, in somebody's life. So last week, we started this series in 1 Thessalonians uh, called Not Without Hope. And so we really started last week with the definition of hope. So we'll kind of start there again, just by way of reminder this morning. Hope is the spiritual ability to imagine a better future. Spiritual ability to imagine a better future. And Christian hope even then is more nuanced uh, in some ways than that. Christian hope is, um, is not will my life be pleasant right? Will it always be wonderful? We know that it won't. We live in a fallen, fractured uh, world. Rather, Christian hope is kind of founded in this idea of meaning. Will my life have meaning? If I were to ask you that question this morning, right now, does your life have meaning? What is the meaning of your life? Do you have a sense of that? That's, that's really um, how Christianity works. Meaning even trumps happiness, to be honest. Meaning greater than happiness um, in our world. You say, well, how do you know that? That's just something that Colby just referenced a, a second ago uh, when you think about it. Um, human beings, we, we can't live without meaning. And I see it, uh, I see it every, I feel like every Sunday, you know, we have lots and lots of young people, young families. Um, you know this, if you are a parent, a teacher, a coach, if you work with young people, if you're a mentor for young people, trying to shape young people's lives in any way, you know, man, it's, it's really rooted in meaning. You see these young couples, uh, they come in, they're fresh-faced, right? They, they get married, they go on their honeymoon, and man, they all put all the pictures on Instagram, and they're sassy, you know? They, take, they put one leg in front of the other, right? When you take that picture, you want that hand on the hip like that? They're all sassy when they go on their honeymoons. They, God blesses them with a child or two, and they walk in here on Sunday mornings like zombies. Oh yeah, coffee, I need coffee. Haven't slept in weeks, got dried snot all over their shoulder of every, every shirt, right, that they, that they own. And you're like, well then why, why would people do it? Why would people have kids? Because meaning 
greater than happiness, right? Your happiness goes down, but meaning goes up, right? When you're, the first time that, that little child looks up at you and smiles and grabs your finger and says, Dada, because all intelligent children say Dada before they say Mama, right? Say Dada. There's something deep happens in your soul and you're willing to, uh, you're willing to sacrifice, right? You're willing to give up because all of a sudden you've, you've found some sort of, uh, you found some sort of meaning. And I would just say that uh, human beings, we can't live without that. We cannot live without meaning. It is like, uh, meaning and hope are like spiritual oxygen, right? That feed our souls. So the good news for us as believers is that Jesus is the source of enduring hope. Jesus is the thing that gives our lives uh, meaning. That's really what we talked about last week. When we talked about how hope works. Remember past, present, and future. The past, that's who I was. The present, that's who I am. The future, that's who I will be. And so what we do is we live life in the present, in the here and now, constantly reevaluating the past and we attach meaning to past events. That gives us the capacity then to imagine um, a better future. The problem with that is, you know, last week we kind of talked about the problem with the, what if we don't have a, a past to kind of rely on these past experiences. Part of the, <laughs> the other part of the problem is that in the present, we just don't always catch it. We don't always catch everything that, that comes um, our way, right? And so sometimes we have to redo, right? Things to make sure that, man, did I catch that? Or it's it's kind of like watching a movie uh, that's got a great uh, plot twist. Um, I don't know about for you, I love movies that right at the end, it's like, wham, like you, you were watching it the whole time, you didn't know it was happening, and right at the end, right? There's a great movie um, 18 or so years ago, I think it was, called The Sixth Sense. Uh, it had Bruce Willis in it, and he was a child psychologist dealing kind of with his own demons, like uh, struggling in his marriage. His wife wouldn't even acknowledge his presence. She wouldn't even talk to him when he would try and talk to her. But he gets connected to this client, this patient, uh, tiny I think Haley Joel Osment was 10 years old, right? And his condition, if you remember the famous line from the movie, I see dead people, right? Haley Joel Osment thought he saw dead people and that he communicated with dead people, kind of a conduit, right? For people who wanted to communicate in the world and he was frightened and terrified. And so what happens throughout the movie is that Willis finds meaning in being able to help this young guy, uh, this little fellow, Haley Joel Osmond, as he figures things out. But as you go through the movie, you realize, well, maybe this kid does see dead people, right? Maybe, maybe it's, and then the big plot twist, right, at the end is that Bruce Willis is actually a dead person, right? The whole movie, he was dead. That's why his wife didn't acknowledge him. That's why you were watching it the whole time, right? You didn't know you were seeing it. And, all, and listen, don't email me and say, you spoiled the movie. It's 18 years old, right? It's like, but what we learned last week, right, in 1 Thessalonians is that we see dead people. You are dead people. I am dead people. We are born into this world as fractured. It's imperfect. And that's you and me. And we're part of that. We're physically alive, but we are spiritually, we're dead. And so what you and I need more than anything is, is hope. And so last week we talked about how there's this gospel power, right? We talked about that word dunamis, the gospel dynamite, that's the power to change us as we look forward into 2023, as we root our lives in two things, the words and the ways of Jesus. And as we do that, we begin to see the, um, the beauty and the breadth of the gospel that I have been saved right in the past from the penalty of sin. I am being saved in the presence, in the present tense from the power of sin. And that gives me hope that someday 
I will be saved in the future um, from the presence of, uh, of sin. So as we look at chapter two today, we're gonna look at the summary really of chapter two at the end, um, Paul the apostle writing to this church uh, in Thessalonica. And once again, in chapter two, he is going to encourage them towards the words and the, the ways of Jesus. So we'll start in verse 13, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter two, if you wanna turn there. And we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God that's at work um, in you. Uh, in you believers, right? So remember that the core of this church at Thessalonica, go back to Acts chapter 17, and it was really made up of three different groups, right? It was made up of a, a group of Hebrews that were uh, converted to Christianity. Uh, it was made up of a group of uh, Greeks that were converted. Uh, and then it was made up of a group of prominent women leaders um, in the community. So you think about those three groups, a very different Hebrew uh, culture at that time, and really even some still today. Um, it's very uh, traditional, uh, very conservative. Uh, and their word, Greek culture was very philosophical and very liberal. And then you had this group of leaders who generally speaking, leaders are progressive. They wanna see progress. Uh, they wanna see forward movement consistently. So. If you think about that, how in the world can Paul plant a church and bring those three groups of people together, right? They are very diverse. They're diverse in terms of their gender. They're diverse in terms of their ethnicity. They're diverse in terms of their culture and their background, different families. They see the world, different grids. How are you gonna bring all those people together? It's one of the things, right, that as a country, we celebrate uh, this weekend as we think about uh, the contribution of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right? That men would be judged by the content, right, of their character and not the, the color of their skin. And it is a wonderful vision, but how do you do it? How do you bring diverse people together, diverse kinds of thinking, family backgrounds, all together in one church? And it wasn't just a challenge for Paul. It's a challenge, I think, still today. The term uh, church shopping, right, has been around for a few decades. And really what that term describes is that when people go looking for a church, basically what they're doing is they're looking for a church that fits their preferences. And we all have preferences and that's fine. But when you start to judge churches, right, which are imperfect, by the way, um, when you start to judge churches by your preferences, if you're not careful, you can easily become, instead of uh, looking at things as a child of God, right? You tend to look at things as a consumer of religious goods and services. And like I said, no, no church is perfect, right? You're there, right? No church is perfect. That didn't land very well. <laughs> no, no church um, is perfect, but none of us should come to a local church and say, yeah, what does this local church have to offer somebody like me? Rather, we should come to the local church and we should say, wait, what does somebody like me, what do I have to offer this local church? So back to my original question, how do you bring a diverse group of people together in the context of one body? And I wanna to read to you just again what Paul says here. He says, you received the word of God, not as the words of men, but for what it is. This he reiterates, he says it a second time, but the word of God. So the way that I'll say it to you uh, is that human words are powerful. Human words can be powerful in our lives, but God's word is different. God's word has authority. Human words are powerful, but God's word has authority. 
What Paul is saying here is that you received from us this, it wasn't, it wasn't me teaching, but God's spirit. What you heard uh, earlier, what we talked about, what Colby said, is we were filled with God's spirit. These apostles were filled with God's spirit. And so as they spoke, they spoke, the scriptures say, as the very words of God. So what we have in the summary of the Bible is incredibly important to us. Our lives need to be rooted in the words and the ways. And the word, the book, right, that we have, this Bible is it's 66 books uh, written by 40 different authors laid down over thousands of years, all in full agreement um, with each other. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible word that has been given to us. Um, think about it, but there's 33,000, I think 102 verses, 1189 chapters um, in the scriptures. If you just drop the Bible and let it open up to its middle point, right? The middle verses uh, of the Bible. You know what they are? Psalm 103, verses one and two. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, not half my heart, with my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that he does for me. It's a great word. And the reason I bring that uh, up to us, just to remind us today, is that what's become um, Christian popular, if you will, um, in our country especially, is this idea to deconstruct your faith. That's a big deal right now, to deconstruct your faith. So first, let's talk about the word faith. Um, it's used in a variety of ways in the Bible. There's have faith, right? In the sense of a verb to believe. There is your faith, your personal faith and what God is doing in you. Then there is the faith, right? The, the one that Jude says once delivered uh, to all the saints. So when you talk about this idea of deconstruction, the idea is that uh, you would deconstruct your beliefs, which can be a very healthy thing. Very healthy thing. If you look at your uh, belief system, you look at your life and you say, hey, what parts of my faith are really just um, tradition? Or what parts of my faith are just rooted in uh, my background? Or what parts of my faith are just habit? Or that can be very, very helpful. But when you're talking about deconstructing not your faith, but you're deconstructing the faith, that's a very, very different thing. Very different thing. We have a faith rooted in the theology of this book. As it were, Paul says that, that God spoke to the people through them so that what you and I have in the Bible is exactly what God wants us to have without error and it's trustworthy. We have laid down now over a couple of thousand years of church leaders who have given us the theology layer upon layer, century upon century upon century. And so when you and I come to that with the attitude of, oh, I've got something brand new that no one's ever learned, that no one's ever heard. I'm like, eh, I don't know, I don't know about that. It is, it is all well, it is good for us to look at our faith. The faith once delivered to all the saints is a thing that has been given to us. And I've encouraged you before, I'll just encourage you in this again. C.S. Lewis encouraged us to be very careful of something that he referred to as chronological snobbery. It's this idea that you and I are so much more intelligent than the people who have gone on before us, right? That we are so much smarter, so much brighter, that we know so much more than our forefathers and our foremothers. We just have to be careful. I said to you a couple months ago, the easiest thing to do is to criticize the generation that you are not part of, right? It's easy to criticize. And you know, you're in counseling uh, today. 
And you sit in counseling today and you say, well, I don't know this problem. It must've been my parents, right? My parents forced me to go to church. They made me burn my Def Leppard CDs. <laughs> Not everybody had to do that. I don't know. What's the... I would just say, listen, your mom and dad, um, listen, some of you, um, some of you had um, incredibly difficult parents. Um, let's just say it, they were terrible, right? They did horrible, awful things. Most of us had parents who did the best they could with what they had and what they knew. And the reality is our children, the people that we mentor, train, that we coach, they're gonna be in counseling someday talking about us. My mom, my dad, they gave me an iPhone and started letting me go to coffee shops when I was 10, right? They're gonna be looking around and going, now I'm twitchy all the time because of all the caffeine and they're gonna be complaining. They let me watch this, this little kid's show called Caillou, which is criminal, by the way. It's criminal. Now all I do is whine all the time, right? Listen, we are no better, right? We're no smarter, we're no more intelligent than our parents were. So what do we, what can bring people together? I tell you what brings people together is an authoritative word. When you and I come to the scriptures and we all submit and surrender our hearts to it, that we are all flawed to this reality that we are desperate for the salvation of God. That's what can bring people together. So that's why we wanted to start this year reading 1 Thessalonians together more of the word, more of our lives rooted in God's uh, word. So I hope you had the opportunity over the past week to read the whole book, all five chapters. And then starting tomorrow, we will break the book down into bite-sized passages. Um, we're gonna do this devotionally six days a week together through the LifePoint app. So once again, I'll encourage you, Wherever you get your apps on your phone, search keyword LifePoint Ohio. The first thing that pops up on the front of your app tomorrow morning will be the daily drivecast. You'll have two options there. Our Next Steps writing team has written a daily devotional. Tomorrow morning is uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 1 through 3. And there'll also be an audible drivecast that will go along with what you read in the daily devotional. So those things come together, right? So that you're reading the word and then you have this opportunity to pray the word, what you have just read, right? As those two things come together. Why? Because our lives need to be rooted in the words and the ways of Jesus. So we take this opportunity as we begin a new year. I was thinking this week, I was gonna say to develop the habit um, of of reading God's word. And a friend of mine said to me this week, he said, you know what may be better than habit is the word rhythm. And I like that because rhythm greater than resolution, right? Instead of it's just my, my effort to try and do something new, what I wanna do is I wanna weave God's word into the fabric of the rhythm uh, of, of my life. So I hope you'll take the opportunity and you'll join us over the next three weeks as we journey through 1 Thessalonians through God's word. So that's the word, but secondly, it's the ways. So we'll pick it back up there in verse 14. It says this, for you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you, key word here, suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose, uh, oppose all mankind. Paul says, look, you suffered 
just like we did from the hands of the Jews, just like Jesus did. And this was about written about AD 50. So we're talking about a couple of decades away from the crucifixion uh, of Jesus. Now, why does Paul say this? Well, again, if you look back at Acts chapter 17, what happens is as people become converted in Thessalonica, um, people stopped uh, supporting the work of the Judaizers, this group of super hyper-conservative now, Hebrews, they got upset about it. So they started a riot just like they did with the crucifixion of Jesus. So much so that Paul and Silas had to sneak out uh, of town and go down uh, to a different place to Berea. All of that was under God's hand, God's plan as that occurred. But Jason, just a common everyday believer, right from the church uh, there in Thessalonica, they grabbed Jason, pulled him out into the streets, beat him and put him in prison just for being a believer. The word that we tend to attach to that in Christendom is the word persecution, right? That people would be harmed because of the reality of what they believe or because of the reality of, of their faith. And what Paul says to them is, look, you suffered, you sacrificed for this faith that you have, just like we did, just like we saw in the life of our savior. I don't know how you think about um, persecution there's a great book, I would encourage you to pick it up and read it sometime called The Insanity of God, uh, written by a Christian under the pseudonym Nick Ripkin. Uh, wrote it, it's probably, the book's probably 10 years old now, but he proves an assertion uh, in the book that's quite incredible. He says that around the world, every year there are 100 million, say that to you again, 100 million Christians in the world who are persecuted simply because they are Christians. He says that there were more Christians in the world persecuted in the 20th and beginning of the 21st century. There were more Christians persecuted in that 100-ish year time span than were persecuted in the previous 19 centuries combined. So what does that mean? That means that already this morning, while you and I were sleeping, while we were getting up, getting ready, to come this morning, starting all the way over in China, all the way over in the East, working its way through India, working its way all the way back through the Middle East, that our brothers and sisters around the world woke up and they had to sneak to get together in a place and they worshiped together very quietly out of fear that their lives maybe would be taken, certainly would be harmed, could be imprisoned, could have benefits taken away. They were willing to risk their lives. They're willing to risk their possessions just for the reality to gather this morning to worship. I don't know how that lands on you, but I'll tell you how that lands on me a lot of times. There's this little bit of... Um, Christian insecurity in me that makes me ask myself the question, would my faith stand up to that? I don't know about you, do you ever think that? Like, I think like, man, if I was in a situation like that, where I could lose everything, where I could risk torture, could, could my faith stand up in a, in a situation? Or so I don't know if you think that, I don't know if you ever wonder that, but when I think that, Paul helps us with the reality, the answer 
to that question because he explains uh, to the Thessalonians again in chapter two that it's not just the word, it is the word, but it's also the ways. Here's how he says it earlier in chapter two. If you back up uh, to uh, verse seven, he says in verses seven and eight, instead, he says, we were like young children among you. Now the instead here is Paul has explained in the beginning of, of chapter two that he's like, look, we could, have demanded, um, we could have demanded money from you. We could have flattered our way into uh, your good graces. Uh, we could have made demands from you. But instead, he says, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our own lives as well. For you know, that we dealt with each of you, this is down in verse 11, as a father deals with his own children. So the second thing I would say to you is that human community, maybe what we would refer to sometimes as friendship, human community is substantial, but spiritual community is eternal. What Paul says is he says, listen, you know how we were with you. We didn't just share the word. We didn't just share the gospel with you, but we shared our lives with you like a nursing mother does with her own children, like a father does with his own children. We, we shared our lives with you as well. And what Paul really, what he gives us is this reality of how Christianity should work in the context, in the, in the local body from this aspect of community. It's one of the five core values of, of our church. You walk through the lobby, you see all five of them, right? It's authentic Community. And when we say authentic community, what we mean is that we're a family. And that's the, these are the references that Paul uses. Father, mother, shared our lives together, much like um, a family does. And so let me just say a few things um, about uh, community and about life groups. If you, um, if you hang around our church very long, one of the things that you will find that is a little different about us is that we don't do a lot of ministry stuff. We don't do a lot of events. Um, we're not saying that's wrong. It's not right or wrong. It's just not us. What we want, what we hope is that we really just engage together two things. We do, we gather corporately on Sundays and we gather in smaller groups, uh, what Paul calls life sharing, we would call life groups that meet together uh, during the week. The reality is I don't want you here. I don't want you here four or five days a week. I want you at basketball practice. I want you to be at soccer practice, right? I want you to be there walking in to basketball practice to pick up your kid with the idea that, God, there may be an opportunity in front of me right now to bring the kingdom to the basketball team, right? I want you to clap when your kid, you know, drains a three. I love that. But I always want you to have your, your radar up that this game, this practice is an opportunity to bring the kingdom. I want you to go to work every day. And when it's time to have a work party, I don't want you to choose between a work party and coming here for another uh, Christian event. I would rather you go to the work party with the idea, with the grid, the radar, that, okay, God, where can I bring the kingdom into this party? In the, in a, what relationship opportunities do I have as I go to school today? What relationship opportunities do I have on this team? What relationship opportunities do I have in my neighborhood, right? I'm gonna take the dog for a walk. As I go for a walk, God, maybe you'll give me an opportunity. And if you don't give me an opportunity, no big deal. I'm just gonna pray for these houses as I go by them and my neighbors, as I know them about your activity, because I wanna bring the kingdom to 
my neighborhood. Again, it's not right or wrong. It's just a unique expression of what we do. That makes today for us super important because we're launching a brand new term of life groups. Our winter term of life groups launches today. And if you're not currently part of a group, man, I cannot encourage you enough to take that step. Out in the lobby today at Guest Central and in the kiosks, you'll see a catalog and you, all the information that you need to join a life group, to share life with other people is, is right here. You can contact a leader directly, or if you have questions, um, if you want recommendations, just go out to Guest Central. Whenever church is over today, Nathan Shireman, uh, our Connections Pastor will be there. There'll be other folks from the team that'll be out there. They'll be glad uh, to help you. We have a number of, uh, of groups that meet here on Sunday mornings. We call them bridge groups. They're right in the front of the catalog. Easy, easy to find, right? Um, bridge groups that are coming up this term that, that are start uh, really next Sunday. We've got a bridge group for uh, parents who are considering fostering or adopting. We have a bridge group for folks who are thinking about leading a mission trip or a mission team, either internationally or nationally sometime um, into the future. We've got a, a bridge group called Thriving in Love and Money for couples who are trying to figure a way forward uh, during uh, these financial uh, times as they're kind of walking through that together. We've got a couple of groups that are multiplying this term. Uh, one, a uh, great group for the, one of the first times we have a group that's gonna extend all the way out to the east, out into uh, New Albany and Gahanna, out that direction. If you live out that way, we'll have a group right there for you and your neighbor, you can connect to that group. We have a, another group that's gonna kind of focus around folks who are kind of right out of college, starting their first job. Jake and Katie Church are gonna be leading. That's gonna be a great group. Um, if that's you, you can step in uh, to that group uh, this term. Um, I, I don't know any other way to say it, I guess, to you than to say um, life groups and community is not a ministry of our church. It is the ministry. of our. It's how we carry out. It's how we live out the rest um, of our core. I'm so grateful for our life group leaders. They bear the spiritual weight of leading people, shaping disciples. So uh, I'm so grateful for um, our leaders. I just thought as a way to try and maybe do my best to display to you um, how important it is. We had 341 new people join life groups um, last year. People stepping into doing life and uh, living life, sharing life together. Um, so let's do this. If you have been part of a life group uh, here, we just raise your hand, raise it up high. I want you to look around the room. You are missing out on a majority of the life of our church if you're not in a group. So please take the opportunity um, to get connected in a group because those two things being rooted in the words and the ways of Jesus, those are the two things um, that help us in the darkest and the toughest moments. Uh, it doesn't seem possible uh, to me, but um, next month is gonna be three years uh, since my, my mom passed away. And I was thinking about that uh, this week and uh, just remembering uh, it's February when she passed away, so it was cold. And I remember, um, I kind of wondered in the back of my mind, like, how is my dad, how is he gonna do uh, without my mom? And when we were at the cemetery, um, getting ready to leave, we were finishing up 
And uh, it's just our human frailty, right? So my dad knows theologically, he knows that my mom is not there. She, her spirit, she's already gone on to be with the Lord. But there at the cemetery, my dad was worried that my mom would be cold. That he wanted to try and figure out a way, should we get an extra blanket or something? Because he, he, doesn't, he doesn't want her to be cold. And I remember thinking, how is he, he going to do without my mom. And I, I don't know about your family. I grew up in a family. We just don't talk about our feelings very much. I don't know how your family is. That's just, that's just our MO. We don't do that. And so I have struggled to talk to my dad about how he's doing uh, without mom. But I don't know, four, five, six months ago, uh, kind of the door opened to have a little bit of a conversation. And so I just asked my dad, I said, you know, how are you? How are you doing um, without mom? And um, so we talked about that for a couple of minutes. But the thing that stuck out to me about that conversation was he said, you know, I've been, I've been reading, um, reading, he meant reading scripture and reading some uh, biographies of people in scripture that he'd been reading by a gentleman named Gene Getz. And he says, yeah, I've been reading a lot. And he said, that's helped me. And he said, uh, the other thing that helped me, he said, one Sunday morning I was at church and um, he said, I looked around and I saw, well, you know, they lost they lost their spouse and he lost his spouse and she lost her spouse. And he said, you know what I realized? They made it. And it's like the Lord said, Dan, you can make it. If they can make it, you, can, you stay close to me, stay close to the church. If they made it, you will make it. The conversation just kind of settled there for a second. And he said, you know, a couple weeks ago at church, he said, uh, there was a fella. He said, uh, he had just lost his wife a few weeks earlier. And he said, so when the service was over, I just kind of walked up beside him. Now, this is my 88-year-old dad who does not talk about how he feels. He says, I just walked up beside him and put my arm on it or put my hand on his arm and said, you know what? He said, just stay close to the church. I made it you'll make it. And I just realized that God is continuing to sanctify my dad at 88 years of age. How does that happen? It happens when we root our lives in the words and the ways of Jesus, when we share life together in the context of a local body. Because what we see in the Savior that we follow is that. He came and gave his life, died on a cross, brutally tortured on a cross, right? For you um, and for me. But Jesus was not, I wanna reiterate, he was not the victim of the cross. No, he died willingly. He chose to die intentionally, on purpose came and gave his life for you, for dead people, right? For people who would not have chosen him, would not have loved him, would not have called out, cried out to him. He chose to come and to give his life for us intentionally on purpose, not a victim, but a victor. So that you and I have the opportunity today to stand in the victory that he's, so we're not living for the smile of God, right? We're living from the smile of God. So as we come together as a body, it makes sense then that we celebrate something that was terrible 
in the death of Jesus on the cross because out of that comes what we talked about earlier, the spirit of the living God, right? Falling fresh on us, empowering our lives to be different. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray um, for us and that'll give you, I hope prayerfully the opportunity to live in a mode, right, of repentance. You turn your heart God's direction on the basis of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, his broken body and his blood that was spilled for us. And as you're turning, as I'm turning, as we're repenting this morning, we are called back to the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God that is running after us every second of every minute of every hour. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we come confessing that you are the source of enduring hope. That Jesus, you not only have everything we need, you are everything that we need. And so God, we bring um, our hearts this morning uh, together in a way in celebration of, of the cross, of the crucifixion, but God, really, it's, it's not in celebration of what happened to you. It's more a celebration of what came out, the result. Because God, that was the blessing of our souls. So this morning, God, right now, we just repent. We turn our hearts your direction as Christians, as believers. We come to the, uh, to the communion table as life sharers not just sharing life with one another, but God, sharing in your death, in your burial, in your resurrection. Sorrowful God, that our sin, that our sin causes, that our sin demanded such a sacrifice, but grateful, grateful for what you have given us in your presence, in the work of the Spirit. It's in your name we pray, amen.